Good morning, everyone. That's right. It is I. I'm the one giving this sermon this morning. I hope you're all having a great Mother's Day. And for those of you fortunate enough to be spending it today with your mums, I hope you're absolutely just blessing them um, as much as possible. I've been giving. I've been given the honour to preach to everyone this morning. So I thought I'd go with a, a classic Mother's Day sermon. Um, talking about David, the greatest mother of all. That was a joke. Um, but yeah, I actually thought um, this, this sermon that I want to preach today is, is really, really pertinent to where I'm at at the moment. And I think it's going to speak, I really hope speaks to a lot of people today. So um, I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. So Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much that you will just speak through me. That this is your word, not mine, Lord. So I just thank you that you really bless us as we listen to this sermon this morning, um, and that you will really show us how it, how we can learn to um, trust you and to trust your voice, Lord, um, and to trust your calling on our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Awesome. All right. Well, as I mentioned, I'm talking about David. Uh, but more importantly, I thought it would be really cool to talk a little bit about uh, his his rise to to becoming king, um, and then his exile, and his response in that, because I think that there's a lot that we can learn in that. And the reason I want to talk about it is because I really believe that all of us has a calling. I believe that every single one of us, as believers in God. We're all obviously called to make disciples and we're all called to be stewards of what God has given us. And I believe that in that, it looks different for every person. So I believe that every single person has a particular calling on their life, has a particular way that, that God is, is, wants to use them. And it's going to look different for every single person. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about when we have a calling and then... When things don't quite go how they seem that they should be or how we expect them to um, and what that means for us. So uh, I'd encourage you guys to read the book of Samuel, uh, First Samuel that is, because pretty much my, um, my whole sermon or my whole chat today is, is going through this, this whole book. Um, so I would really encourage you to read it because the story of David is honestly one of my favorite stories and his response to so many things is incredible. But let's just let's let's focus in on a, on a little scripture now um, to set us up. So to give context, um, this is at the time while after Saul had been king for a little bit and um, Samuel, the prophet, uh, had heard from God that he's like, okay, well, it's time to anoint a new king. So let's turn to 1 Samuel 16. <clears throat> it's verse, we'll read verse 1 and then we'll skip to verse 11. So, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over, over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And then verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him. 
for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the reason I wanted to start there was because I wanted to point out that um, the start of uh, David's journey was that he had actually been chosen, specifically called out by God's elected prophet. So I wanted to kind of start with, with some oomph there because this is that's a pretty strong start for someone who whose journey is to become king. I don't think you can get a much stronger start than specifically being chosen as the governmental figure for your nation that hears from God and that person being like, you're going to be king. Now, again, like I said, to give context, Saul was king at the time, and he was the first one to be anointed as king by this same prophet. And so now while Saul is king, he had disobeyed God in a few ways, but the most recent way um, by overstepping a boundary as king and doing the role of, of the priest, uh, God had shown Samuel, he's like, okay, that's it. I'm rejecting Saul. So now God has actually chosen someone else. And so Saul has been rejected as king of Israel, as in he's been rejected by God. So now, <clears throat> so the context of this is that is David is now being brought up by God. Although that said, it is unbeknownst to Saul that he was anointed by Samuel in this, which is really interesting. But the point is, pretty strong start here. Um, and then as we see, as David goes on and lives his life, God's blessing is with him everywhere he goes. The next, um, the next chapter goes on to tell the story of David and Goliath, where David was the only one in the whole army that was willing to go and stand up against Goliath. And that story actually produces one of my favorite lines um, in the Bible. In, uh, it's in 1 Samuel 17, in verse 26, for those that are curious, where David's talking to the, to the soldiers and this is after Goliath has been giving his, this challenge for someone to come out and challenge them. And, and he's kind of uh, insulting the Israelites. And David says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Oh, I love it. The amount of faith that David has as a kid and as a child to, to know that the, the living God is with them and that he is there with the armies already shows where David is at. And already it, we already start to see this calling um, and the hand of God on David in this. And then as it goes on, we find out that, of course, God was with, with David as he slayed Goliath. And then the blessings just kept coming after that. God was accepted into Saul's house. His own son, Jonathan, loved him so much that they made a covenant together. Um, to look after each other and protect each other, that David um, was uh, that Saul gave um, David his daughter to marry. Um, he was David was loved by everyone in Saul's um, house, including his servants and all the people of Israel. And then also David was blessed as he went on to fight for Israel because after he after he gained favor with Saul. 
by slaying, slaying Goliath. He became a commander in Saul's armies and he had so many victories to the point where the people of Israel started to um, sing. Um, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. So already we're starting to see this tra- trajectory from the moment that Samuel uh, anointed David as king. We see this trajectory for David where he just keeps going up and up and things seem to be going really well. And David's like, yeah, perfect. I've been anointed king. This makes sense. I'm in with the, the current king's family. I am a commander of his armies. I'm having victory after victory. It all checks out. Makes sense. Um, however, of course, there's a however in this story. Um, through all of this, Saul actually gets jealous. And through Saul's jealousy, he actually seeks to kill David. Because the call of David is so strong on his life. God's calling is so strong in his life that Saul can see that he is called to be king. Saul, remember, Samuel specifically tried to keep this a secret that when he anointed David, he kept it a secret. He came up with a plan um, to hide his anointing of David from Saul. So Saul didn't know about that. And yet, through all of the blessing that has followed David, Saul can see that he has been called to be king. And so Saul is, is growing jealous. And he's, he's growing jealous of a man that he doesn't even know, like know is going to, that God has anointed to be king. Um, and so because of that, Saul tries to kill David. And so with that, David has no choice but to run. And so then David goes from this life of living as a noble to living as an exile. Now, I want to pause and reflect on that a little bit because you've, you've got this man who was confirmed by the governmental authority in Israel, the prophet Samuel, was told by Samuel that he was going to be king. He was the, this was the guy that uh, appointed the current king. So that should in and of itself be enough. But then he's also been affirmed by all the victories that he's won for Israel. The first victory being Goliath, a man who was so much larger than him that not a single other person in the army of Israel would stand up against. And he's been accepted previously into the king's family. So this blessings after blessing have followed him. And yet now he's living in a state of exile. And, so, and suddenly this trajectory of upwards momentum has just kind of crashed a little bit because the current king, someone who was previously God's anointed, has taken issue with him and is acting in a way that is directly opposite to what he thinks should be happening or directly opposite to what God's calling is. So one of God's own people is now acting in a way um, that is totally like against God's call. And because of that, Dave now, David, sorry, now has to seemingly abandon this call on God's life. And he's living in a state of exile. But I think the really important thing here is then we see David's response in this. And this is the part that's really important. You see, David went 
from from living like a king, living like a noble, to living in exile. And still he didn't abandon the call of God on his life. It says in a, I believe, let me just try and find it. In verse, where is it? Oh, there it is. In verse 20, uh, chapter 23. So 1 Samuel chapter 23. This is while David is in a state of living in the, in the wilderness, living in a cave. God says, the Philistines are coming against the city of Keilah, and I want you to save them. Now, this is a man who's seemingly been rejected by, by Saul, seemingly been rejected by the, the nation that he was told that he was going to be king of. It would be so easy to be like, well, if I'm not going to be on the trajectory of being king there, why should I, why should I do anything for Israel? Why should I save them? They can look after themselves. Surely Saul can save the city. But God specifically told David, I want you to save the city. And David's preoccupation isn't without, isn't about being right or being justified, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to save these people because they're God's people. So he goes with the limited number of people that he has in his army that have followed him into exile. And he goes and he saves the city of Keilah. I think that's incredible that he, he maintained this, um, this understanding that it doesn't matter where he's at, he's still going to be faithful, not just to, to God's precepts, but to God's people, that he cares for God's people, that he laid aside his own um, injustices and decided to follow through in protecting God's people. And he saved the city of Keilah. So he didn't abandon what God had called him to do, which was to protect the people of Israel, even from this state of exile. But then secondly, and this is the part that I think is so important, David actually had the opportunity after all of this had gone on, David actually had the opportunity to take matters into his own hands. You see, there's there's a moment where David and his men are in a cave and they're on the run from Saul. And Saul, while he's chasing after Dave, actually happens to go into that cave to take a moment to himself. And while he's in there, he doesn't realize that David and his men are in there. And his men say to him, this is in chapter 24, verse 4. Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. So they're using God's word essentially to be like, there's literally the man who is trying to kill you, the man who has seemingly robbed you of everything that God has promised you, he's, he's right there, doesn't know that you're here. This is your opportunity to have justice. And they use God's word to, to try and confirm that, that the, the Lord has handed the enemy into your hand. But David's response is, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Now David had the opportunity to take out Saul. You know what's most amazing about this? It wasn't just once. 
It was twice. That David was able, because there's another time where, where they actually go into Saul's camp and he's standing over there, Saul. He's standing over Saul while, he, while Saul is sleeping and he has the opportunity again. But again, the point is that David would much rather follow God's word of being like, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointing or the Lord's anointed by taking matters into my own hands. Now, I want us to think about that for a second. Not only was David promised to be king, but the, the signs that followed after that were a confirmation of that. And then he was seemingly robbed by one man. Because everywhere that David went, people loved him. The priests even supported him. It was only one person. This is Saul, the king, that was stopping him from achieving this thing that God had promised him. So it would have been so easy that literally the end to all of his troubles would have come then and there if he had just decided to take matters into his own hand, into his own hands and kill Saul. He totally could have done it. The one person that was stopping him from fulfilling the, the, this thing that had been promised to him by God. What an incredible opportunity. But yet he decided that what was more important was protecting um, the precepts of God, which in this case was protecting or not put laying, the ha- laying his hands on the Lord's anointed. But even more than that, it really seems like David was justified. You see, before this, something that I didn't mention was that in hunting for David, Saul had actually gone to the priests that had helped David out in his first initial escape, and he killed them. This is Saul, the king of Israel, going to the priests of Israel And because he had issue with a personal thing that they had done, he killed 85 of the priests and then decimated the city that they lived in. That is a massive injustice in God's eyes. And to touch, to lay a hand on God's priests is a massive no-no back then. And Saul, the king of Israel, decimated them. Now, by every... Every understanding, Dave had every right to put to give justice, not just to himself, but to those people, to the people of that city, to the priests of Israel. In fact, it's almost as if David had the obligation, seemingly, to bring justice to those priests. Because Saul had crossed every line by that point. And Saul had even tried to kill David, who David was also one of God's anointed. So by David's own rules that he was following from God, Saul was disobeying that, disobeying that rule of trying not to lay their hands, lay their hands on God's anointed. So it really feels like David has every right to kill Saul. David... Totally could have felt justified. 
he could have said, I deserve this. And not just that, he could have justified it and been like, you know, it actually makes sense. God needs me to do this because um, Saul is doing all these things wrong and he's, he's breaking all these rules. So God needs me to, to be the swift hand of justice in this case. And yet David still refuses to do it because he, he views it as more important to let God have control. And I think that's the ultimate thing. You see, I still there's still a part of me in my flesh that still doesn't really understand why David didn't take matters into his own hands. Because seemingly, like really genuinely, if I'm being totally honest here, it seems like he had the right. It seems like he had the opportunity. It seems like he had um, the ability. And it seems like it was needed to protect the people of Israel. As I said, Saul literally just decimated the whole city of priests because he had issues with, with how they looked after David. But I also have to understand that that God doesn't always operate like that and he doesn't he doesn't need us to carry out justice for him because justice is in his hands and I think David knows that. I think David knew that. I think he knew that it doesn't matter what Saul had done to him personally because he knew that he he knew that the point was that God cares for his people so much and that God's anointed and God's word uh, is so important that he's like, you know what, I'm going to release control of this and I'm not going to try and, and, and make things happen faster or, or see this as an opportunity because there's something in there, there's, there's, a, there's a level of faith that David has inside of him that he knows there's something more important there to not touch Saul and to not take matters into his own hands that, that far outweigh what could seemingly uh, approve the trajectory of, of how we saw God's plan happening in his own life. And I think what I want us to take away from this story and what I've taken away from it is that when God has given us a call, when God has called us into something, into a ministry, or whether it's something professional, or whether it's just um, something within your community or in your family, I think it's so easy to, to try and control it. And it's so easy to be like, cool, God has called me to do this, so therefore I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. When in reality, God's actually looking for people who are just going to be obedient from start to finish. See, there's, there, there's two aspects to David's response that are key. The first is that he didn't abandon the principle of looking after his people. He didn't abandon Keilah, the city that needed his help. And when God called him to go protect them and save them, he went and did it. Even though he was living in exile and had every reason to say, you know what, it's not my job. I've been rejected. I thought it was going to happen, not going to happen. Sorry. Sorry, guys. It's not, I'm, I can't help you. He didn't care. In fact, by helping the city of Keilah, he was actually exposed to Saul because Saul obviously would have heard, hey, David just freed the city from the Philistines. And David's not an idiot. He would have known that that would have put him in danger. And yet he so valued God's people. He so valued the people of Israel that he was willing to put himself at risk to save them. And he also laid down his own life and his own what could have been it could have been rejection, it could have been a feeling of um, abandonment, whatever. 
he decided to put all that aside because he's like, these people are more important. So he maintained his call and he maintained what God had asked him to do. But then at the same time, he didn't take it into his own hands. He didn't try to control it and try to make something happen at the expense of a greater moral ethic that God had instilled inside of him. See, I think that's what it is when it comes to to David not killing Saul. He had the opportunity. There was justice and there was an opportunity for, for him to finally get rid of this one hurdle that was stopping him from being king. But he understood that there was a greater moral ethic there at play to not disrupt God's anointed and to not take it into his own hands, but to let the avenging be done by God, to not take revenge for his own hurt, but to let it be handled by God. He, he viewed that as more important. And in the end, that it was that heart, it was the heart that God had put in him that led to that, that then led to him being the king of Israel eventually. Because at the end of it, surprise, David does become king as I'm sure all of you are aware. And so I think for us, the important thing is when we have a calling on our own lives and if there's a hurdle that comes in the way or some, there's a setback, it's really easy to either just abandon it and be like, you know what? I thought this was a calling. I thought this is what God wanted me to do, but Obviously not, or I've been hurt by these people too much and so I'm, I, I don't care about them or I'm not going to try and stand up for what is right because it hasn't worked out how I've planned. Or we can swing the other way and be like, okay, I really believe God has said that I'm going to do this. It's not looking how I planned, so I'm going to make it happen how I think it should happen. Either way... You're, you're doing the wrong thing. You need to find the balance between... We all, we all need to find the balance in, in approaching the calling on our life and how we steward the things that we have with the same sense of, I'm going to always remain faithful and I'm going to always try and stick to what it is that God is leading me in, but I'm also going to let it go. Emotionally and mentally, I'm going to release it. I'm still going to be faithful with it and I'm going to still do what's right, but I'm also going to not try and control it and try to make things happen in my own strength. And it's a fine balance there. And it's really hard, I think, to try and find that. But that's where we have to rely on God and be like, you know what, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this and rely on you to stay faithful, but to also not try and take it in in my own hands. And that's where we can go to him and we can ask him, But the important thing is we need to learn how to let go. Because at the end of the day, if God has called us for something, he's the one that's going to make it happen. He doesn't call us for something because it's a good idea. And he thinks, hey, you should do this. So go ahead, go do it. No, if God calls us for something, it's because he's saying, I want you to do this. I want to make you this. I want to to bring this out in you. And I want to take you on that journey. And so all we need to learn is to look at the story of David and be like, okay, things might not look how we had expected them when we first felt what this was going to be, but God, I trust you. 
I trust you with this business. God, I trust you with my family. God, I trust you with this ministry that you have given me that it seems like it seems to be failing, Lord Jesus. Lord, I, I, I trust you with this job that you have put me in because you want me to minister to these people even though it feels like I'm being rejected constantly and it doesn't seem like things are opening up how I thought they would. But Lord, I know that you are good and I know that you are faithful and so I will remain obedient to you and I will continue to work and trust that you are the one that makes things happen, that you are the one that will shift things. These are the prayers that we need to, to give to God every single day with every aspect of our lives. We need to learn how to hand things over to him because that is real stewardship. I'm going to pray and then we'll finish up there. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will just continue to show us how we can be stewards of these lives that you have given us, Lord, and the calling that you have placed on each of us, Lord Jesus. Let us, first of all, let us know what that is. Let us respond to that calling. Let us hear your voice so that we can hear what it is, how you want to lead us, Lord Jesus. But then in the journey, Lord, that follows, help us to be obedient, Lord Jesus. Help us to remain faithful to your word, to your instruction, Lord Jesus. But also, let us try to let go completely so that we know that you are in control. Help us to relinquish our, our grip on these things, Lord Jesus. These blessings that you have for us, Lord Lord, we pray that you just help us to uh, release them to you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that everything that you have for us is so much greater than anything we can provide for ourselves, Lord Jesus. Everything that you have promised us, Lord Jesus, no matter what the journey is, Lord Jesus, it is always going to be so much greater than what we can make for ourselves, Lord. So I pray that you help us to continue to release that into your hands, Lord Jesus, every aspect of our lives, every aspect of our being. Lord Jesus, help us hand it over to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks, guys. I hope you have an amazing Mother's Day. And I'll see you all later. Thank you.